Hello, and welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay. A queer exploration of pretty little liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna, I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, LCO123, a.k.a. Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vanderjesus. And today we are talking about the goodbye look. This is an episode where people have to think about who they could or could not say goodbye to, what people are or are not disposable in their lives. Tom Marin is here and swinging his man self all around. There's a new head in town and it's Jason DeLaurentis's. Uh, the liars are being forced to split up more than usual. And Mona calls area Big A. <laughs> Let's dive in. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, we start in the very spooky greenhouse. Uh, the liars are all freaking out. We are, of course, in the immediate aftermath of the text exchange that allegedly confirms that Ian is still alive. And I, I think it's just weather that's happening outside, but the liars are just freaking out as like big rocks are hitting the top of the greenhouse. Um, they decide that Ian being alive actually makes things worse. Spencer might be the only person who can find out where Ian is, they theorize. Um, as they leave the greenhouse, they say that they can play it cool at school, as though the liars have ever figured out how to play things cool. Um, and they, they end up seeing new head Jason, who is throwing away Allie's things. Maya's family has officially vacated the house. I think we had some questions about that a little while ago. Uh, and yes, what, what, what are your thoughts on this new headed Jason? Well, uh, first of all, I would just like to point out that like one of the main narrative, uh, points in this episode is that the liars are being forced to, uh, not interact with each other. They're not allowed to see each other or text each other as much. And I think that it goes really to the heart of the parenting on this show that every parent has given them the decree. And yet no parent has realized that every single liar has snuck out in the middle of the night to go to the dodgy greenhouse that is being like hit by rock there's like a rock storm apparently <laughs> it's not hail it's not raining when the girls go outside but um yes there's like a storm of pine cones or rocks that are hitting that greenhouse um but we see jason here this is our first shot of his new head uh he has purchased that apparently along with the <laughs> De Laurentiis house and uh it also comes with a new backstory that we'll get into a little bit later uh, a thing that I think about him is that we see him throwing out all of the memorial tributes that people left to Allison without even putting them in trash bags <laughs> or donating anything to the Goodwill. This is a sign of his bad headspace because lack of recycling and poor citizenship regarding garbage, are, it's a sign of a person who cannot exist well in community. <laughs> Well, Jason is, you know, he, he really, he, he's really enjoying his kind of outsider status. I feel like this is part of the whole new Jason persona that he's always just kind of grumbling about like this town, man, like nobody, nobody, no, you can't trust anybody, which is kind of a similar headspace that Toby is in in this episode as well. Well, a thing that we know is the audience, but that is not known like in the world of the show at the point of this episode is that Jason and Spencer are siblings. Um, so that is very interesting to me because Jason, as we will learn later in the season, Jason believes that he may have killed Allison, similar to the way that Spencer believes on some level that she may have harmed Allison. And 
Just like Spencer is constantly investigating, Jason cannot resist moving back to Rosewood to press on this bruise. Like he and Spencer have that absolutely in common. It's not a really healthy pattern, but it really exists deeply in both of them. Well, and their two other sister cousins, Melissa and Charlotte, also both believe that they may have killed Allison or somebody who looked like her. So it's kind of a Hastings Drake Laurentis family trait to think that you might have killed some blonde girl in a yellow top. It could happen to anyone, I'm sure. It could. It could. Somewhere in England, Alex Drake thought that she might have done it as well. <laughs> um over at the Marin house, uh, Ashley and Hannah are talking. Hannah says that Ashley doesn't even believe in this therapy stuff, which is kind of an interesting character note for Ashley and may inform some of Hannah's opinions on the matter. Uh, I, I really do think, though, that perhaps someone on the writing staff had an axe to grind with a therapist and was, was just sort of channeling that through, through the Marin women. Um, Ashley tells Hannah that life usually consists of having to put up with something and this is the thing that Hannah has to put up with right now. Hannah quips that this is a great life lesson and they discuss the fact that Tom Marin is back in town when uh, when daughters end up on on the cover of the newspaper for murder allegations. This is what happens. Uh, And Ashley kind of uh, somewhat backhandedly reminds Hannah and the audience that Tom did not show up when Hannah was in the hospital for getting hit by a car, but he is in town now and apparently very concerned. Yes. Tom Marin, we'll we'll get to you later. (laughs) Just Uh, wait. (laughs) Meanwhile, Emily is protesting Pam's draconian new policy of making her put her phone on the dining room table when she comes home from school and making any calls from downstairs so that Pam can monitor who she's talking to. Pam insists that this is hard, but it's not mean. And then she also tries to sell Emily on it being a project to learn about how things were in ye olden times of having landlines. Side note, when I was a teenager, we did not have cell phones. We had a landline and I could only talk on the phone for 15 minutes at a time. Then I would have to hang up for 10 minutes, all of which was timed by our microwave. This was a great hardship. And I don't know why Pam thinks nostalgia is going to be a winning argument here. Emily rightfully snarks about whether they're going to milk their own cows and use kerosene lamps, but then gets distracted uh, by Pam's announcement that they have a family who wants to lease the Fields house for a year. Emily is thrown by this news and then even more thrown by the discovery that her hard drive has been completely wiped. Yeah, Pam is like the Grim Reaper in this episode. Like every time she comes into the scene, she has more bad news to dispense to Emily. Like just like poor Emily. Um, I also, though, even though Emily is is kind of being snarky with her mom here and even though Pam's argument doesn't hold much water. I feel like this is the first time we've seen the two of them do anything that approximates joking. Like all of their conversations up to this point have been so um, devoid of humor or really any warmth that this like Pam being vaguely playful in this scene feels like a, almost like a revelation. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I I would agree with that. And also this is one of the first scenes we've seen them have together uh, that is not centered around Emily's uh, sexual orientation. So that's also, it seems like a positive step that their relationship is getting back into like the nuts and bolts of like 
this new discipline that Pam is initiating regarding the phone, which is to keep her from talking to the liars, not to keep her from talking to, uh, you know, any other unknown girlfriends that she might have. Right, right. Yeah, we don't know if Pam thinks that Emily's involved with any of the liars, but we can probably assume not. Um, I really like how this quick cuts to Spencer receiving this news about A, having wiped the hard drive. And Spencer kind of like presses her fingers to her temple like, oh, of course, one more thing we have to deal with. Um, We kind of segue over into the Hastings house where Melissa arrives home and sort of um, she shows Spencer the latest sonogram, which feels suspicious. Like, Melissa, you never share anything with your sister. You're kind of uh, trying a little too hard to prove that there is, in fact, a baby in your uterus. Um, Spencer, who is wearing an inexplicably wide belt for about half of this episode, offers to um, basically hang with Melissa and prods for information about her schedule. But Melissa says that she would like to stay home alone, thus thwarting Spencer's plans to dig in more about the Ian situation. Indeed. Oh, Melissa could just teach a master class in evasion because there are so many things like Spencer asks so many questions that Melissa does not directly answer. I don't even think that Melissa directly says that she had an appointment. She just like hands Spencer the picture and lets you like, I don't even think she says that that's her sonogram picture. I think think that she might be going with the tack of like, well, I handed you a sonogram. I never said it was mine. I mean, if you (laughs) wish to jump to conclusions, then that's entirely on you. Uh, but Melissa you do you um at school uh Prezra Fitz is abusing his position as a teacher to once again force Aria into having relationship conversations that she has no enthusiasm for by making her stay after class he acts confused about her continued anger and frustration at him and she actually calls out how self-absorbed he is Because he's not able to get his way before the next bell, he strong arms her into a promise to come by his apartment the next day. Oh, this might be the worst Ezra episode we've covered so far. Yeah, I would agree with that. Well, I I have things to say about it later, but in this episode, uh, they're like, I understand that there are some people who do not find him being her teacher to be problematic. I definitely do. Him being her teacher, him being an adult man, I think that he's extremely predatory, uh, especially given what we find out later about how he's spying on all of them all the time. Um, but people who are able to like compartmentalize that and set that aside, I feel like how can you watch this episode and feel like, well, he's not a predator, but gosh, he sure is a swell boyfriend because he's <laughs> not. He's like an awful boyfriend here. He is... Yeah. Well, yes, this is a very bad, a very bad Prezra episode for sure. I think, I mean, we'll get to it, but the scene where he's waxing poetic to the classroom about leaving is like peak insufferable Prezra, I feel. But we will get there. (laughs) We will, we will. Would you like to take us out into the hallway? (laughs) Yes, I mean... What an upgrade from Prezra to Mona Vanderwall. Um, I will have more to say about this later, but having been, you know, we've been watching The Perfectionist and seeing this older version of Mona. It's really fun to see this version of Mona and and see some of the similarities and some of the differences. Uh, She just, 
wonderfully opens up by calling Arya Big A, which, oh my God, LOL forever. Like, Mona, you are such a fantastic troll. Uh, she kind of prods about Prezra, suggesting that Arya help pick out a goodbye gift for him because Arya knows him best. The play, of course. Um, uh, Mona says, I'll shake people down. I love doing that. And then just has one teensy-weensy thing she wants Arya to do. She would like Arya to say something to Hannah. First, I love that Arya knows that that's what Mona wants before Mona even asks. Second, I love that Arya twice has been approached by one of Hannah's lovers to talk to her. Uh, you know, this happened with Caleb just a couple episodes ago. Um, and when Arya kind of says that something happened, Mona just sort of gives her a blank stare. Arya goes on to explain about the whole thing, you know, with Ali's killer and, you know, does Mona know what she's talking about? And Mona just kind of plays dumb and smiles while she gets the inside scoop on the state of their friendship as if she doesn't have Dr. Sullivan's office totally bugged. Yes, I love this Mona. I think she is just like Olympic medalist level trolling here. She's doing great work. Uh, also, in addition to Caleb and Mona going to Aria to intervene with Hannah, we also have Sean who wanted Aria to be his uh, his right. backup girlfriend after the um, after the mess at the uh, the homecoming dance. So it's very interesting. It's interesting that the SOs seem to think that Aria is like a a gatekeeper for who Hannah is going to be with. I think that's really interesting. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, also, I have to give a shout out. I really love the pink and black pleated uh, outfit that Mona is wearing here. I think it works really well. And I really just don't know why the liars don't respond better to Mona. I think she is so much fun. And it's, it's, and also like the liars all have been told that they need new friends. So like, would it kill Arya? Would it kill her to be a little nicer to Mona here? I mean, maybe it would, but we don't know. Uh. I actually think that Mona and Arya would, like, of the non-Hannah liars, probably Arya would get along best with Mona, just because I think that they're probably the most similar. I mean, ultimately, probably she's more similar to Spencer because of the whole intelligence thing. But I think, like, surface level, Mona and Arya are probably, you know, they're both, like, kind of into fashion and kind of... I don't know. I feel like they have a, I have a lot in common. They do. I mean, she has a lot in common with Emily, too, because they're both gay teenagers who were hard in love with their best friends who happen to look like exactly identical to each other at this point on the show. But that's a less comfortable sort of bonding for them to go I through. I like how you just like said that all in one breath. Like, it was just like <laughs> as natural as breathing for you. <sighs> well, um, in the lunch line, the liars are having their version of a covert conversation, whispering about the videos being gone, the unknown variable of whether Melissa may have had further contact with Ian, etc., while moving through the line and grabbing fruit and salads and water. They realize they can't sit together, and Hannah protests that they shouldn't act like they did something wrong because they were right. The other liars sit separately, and Hannah sees Mona wave and motion over to her, but ignores her. She chooses to leave her tray on a table and skip lunch, icing Mona completely. Yeah, this is so sad because 
I mean, not only is Mona's little like wave so so sad, this is also we see Hannah going to an unhealthy pattern here. She's skipping a meal, which uh yeah, I feel like in a subtle way sort of shows where Hannah's at in this episode. Um That's a really good call out. Yeah. Um, and then they get this A text, look at you all alone in a crowd. I win. Which is so funny. It's like Mona feels so lonely. And so she's just like, I want you all to feel as awful as I do in this moment. I feel like this is this is maybe the first episode where it's really, not the first, but one of them where there's a lot of A stuff and a lot of Mona stuff. And it's very clear that Mona is A. In hindsight, yes. In hindsight, yes, exactly. Um, at the school, Toby arrives. He um, he tells Spencer that he is getting his GED and just got a job at Rosewood Construction. Uh, Spencer kind of makes a face. Toby talks about wanting to get out of his house and maybe Rosewood. He can only think of, she, he's, he talks about having reasons to stay and she says, name three. And he kind of smiles at her and says he can only think of one reason to stay right now. Um, but his flirty smile also just kind of looks like a glare. Later in this episode, Spencer will have better chemistry with the actor who is supposed to be her brother. So that's a fun thing. <laughs> um, did you get the impression that Spencer is like, do you think that she's not thrilled about Toby getting his GED because she feels like she won't be able to see him as much if he's working or if he's out of town? Or do you think that part of Spencer is not that thrilled about having a relationship with a high school, someone who did not complete high school traditionally? Well, I actually, I, I totally could see that. I thought maybe she was reacting to not being thrilled about dating a construction worker. Uh, I think there is some level of snobbiness that is playing into Spencer's reaction yes. here. Whichever one of those it is actually like latching onto, I, I definitely think there's some of that in play. I mean, I think later in the, se- in the series, she'll refer to uh, the Hastings family not being thrilled that Melissa was dating a civil servant in uh, Garrett. So, <laughs> and there was the whole issue with like Alex at the club. So yeah, the Hastings are, um, definitely have some classist tendencies about them. Oh, Spencer, someday you would give anything to have him be but a humble construction worker and not a bossy McPoliceman, but we'll... <laughs> Well, you'll you'll wish you could change your mind on this. But uh, next we have Emily in the water winning a swim race. Afterward, she's winning a hug and some goofy banter from Samara, who says she is she was so great. She was like was she was one with the water. And if swimming is code for queer sex, I think she's saying Emily makes her wet. (laughs) Anyway. She wants to get something to eat or go see a movie with Emily. Emily has to go home and help her mom pack. Samara presses for tomorrow. Emily says she's moving and doesn't want to start something she can't finish. Samara points out that it's just a movie. And if Emily has worries about commitment, they don't have to get a large popcorn. Emily smiles and agrees to go out tomorrow. And I feel like it is so funny to see Emily Fields and her commitment issues like preordained here in this discussion about movies and popcorn true true i also will go on record and say that i like samara in this episode i know i've been pretty hard on her in the past but i like her in this episode oh no 
I've Do always like liked her? I've always liked Samara, and you made so many good points about her when I was defending her last time that I actually found her kind of annoying when I was watching this episode. <laughs> isn't oh, this yeah. just isn't this just a little O Henry story? <laughs> okay well we'll get into it i guess um <laughs> we've switched <laughs> oh geez well <laughs> we'll see um yes this 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 guy who plays the recruit from danby i feel like is a character actor that i have seen in like one million things um but he arrives at the end here to to basically start the scouting process with emily Yes, yes. He gives her the card, wants to talk to her about their program. Uh, she also plans to meet up with him the next day. Uh, I guess the thing that kind of got to me about Samara this episode was that, like, all of her lines are just extremely obvious. She's just kind of, like, acting as, like, a, a Captain Obvious character in this episode because that guy gives her the card and goes away. And Samara, like, feels necessary to narrate, look who just got scouted. <laughs> Yeah, she is just kind of doing like half exposition in this episode. I think, I, I mean, we'll get into it later. I think I liked that it just, after Emily dealing with like Maya coming in at 11 and Paige being so Paige, like Samara just seemed like kind of nice mellow energy for her at this point. And somebody who was just confident, but, but not, but just kind of like even keeled in a way that I think Emily probably needs at this point that's true and this is also one of the only times that we see emily actually dating someone on the show in terms of like going on a few dates and getting to know them versus like jumping into a relationship with them that is gonna you know last for however however long it lasts so good for yeah. her good for her for actually like having a dating experience yeah i don't think they have like awesome chemistry or anything but you know it's it's they're sweet Here's the important question. Did you think she looked like Kristen Bell? <laughs> I time? didn't. No. No. I didn't. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, over you? Uh, or or has have I like talked you out of that? You're like a you're like a dream crusher. All of my Samara <laughs> affection has just gone to dust. Oh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Well, we'll see. She's gonna be around a little bit more, so we'll see. Um, over at the House of Hastings, Melissa is agitated. As Spencer unwraps brownies and puts them on a plate. Melissa is frustrated about the newspapers printing wild theories, even though they have no information. Spencer offers to split a brownie with her. Uh, and Melissa asks who they're for, as Spencer is clearly moving them from box to plate in hopes of passing them off as homemade. Uh, Spencer explains they're for Jason DeLaurentis. She's planning to drop them off to be neighborly. She also describes him as being right down the lane, which is weird because aren't they neighbors? <laughs> anyway, Spencer asks if Jason and Ian were friends, and Melissa first says Jason wasn't someone you could depend on, and then lashes out at Spencer for bringing up Ian at all. So does Melissa know at this point that she and Jason are siblings? I don't know. It's hard to say how much Melissa knows. Uh, do you think she definitely didn't know in the past? Like she didn't know when she was making out with him in a car. I guess I've always kind of headcanoned it that she she found out sometime before the series that they were 
siblings, but maybe we'll get confirmation on that. I kind of felt like in this scene, we're meant to think that Melissa's getting weird about talking about Ian, but it's actually Jason that's more the trigger point for her mm. um, because the whole Jason thing's a bit awkward. Yeah, that definitely tracks. Yeah. Um, over at the Marin house, Tom Marin has arrived. He is here. He is the big man. He is going to fix his family that his ex-wife just, you know, messed right up. He interrogates Ashley and Hannah about the therapist. Um, I really like Ashley's body language in this scene. She's kind of like bracing for impact uh, against the kitchen counter. Tom starts throwing around words like we, saying he's planning to stay in town um, and sort of blaming Ashley for, for letting, or kind of criticizing Ashley for letting Veronica set up this whole thing with Dr. Sullivan. Um, Hannah stomps away and he and sort of Ashley questions him about whether he's planning to stay and if that's going to be causing problems for him he acts like the big savior he's here nothing else matters and uh, he brings up martinis which is clearly a thing between them Ashley says that they'll just have wine tonight yes uh this dude uh one thing that i think is interesting is he asks ashley what she thinks of the therapist and we get the reveal that ashley has only talked to dr sullivan on the phone so oh man could mona have called everyone pretending to be dr sullivan (laughs) in order to split the liars up asking for a friend um but the way that tom Marin is acting here he's throwing out all these big wheeze even though he's been gone for ages um, and then his little martini play with Ashley and acting like his whole other family isn't even going to miss him. What it is. Also, how many families do we think he has? Because I would be willing to go up to like three or four. I could totally see it. I also think that something that we, we sort of get to understand through this season and kind of the Ashley Tom arc is that the two of them had kind of a weird relationship with alcohol and each other. Alcohol played kind of a weird role in their relationship. Cause I feel like there's a number of scenes later in the se- this season where they're like stumbling home drunk together. Um, we know that Ashley loves her wine, but it seems that there's um, yeah. Mar- martinis are, are code for something. That is for sure. Yes. Um, Emily is packing or staring at an empty box when Pam enters to ask if she's been in her dad's side of the garage lately. They're missing some winter gear and a camp stove. Gene Watson, random character call out who we never hear about again, also had some things go missing from her garage. Emily is triggered by the idea of a break-in since her room was just violated, but her mom doesn't know that. Um, Pam tells her not to worry. She's going to call the cops. And she also takes Emily's phone downstairs per the new routine. Mm-hmm. Yes, Pam just ha- with more bad news that she's bringing up to Emily's bedroom. Um, over at the, oh, this is a funny little thing. I wrote Hastings house instead of De Laurentiis house. Uh, basically one and the same. <laughs> same difference. Yep. Peter makes that mistake all the time too. <laughs> exactly. Wait, which home am I going to tonight? Um, over at the De Laurentiis house, Jason makes his appearance by throwing something at a dog digging around in his yard. Like Spencer walks up and he just like wrenches open the door and is like, ah! He is a nightmare in this episode, not following the right trash protocols and now cruelty to animals. He's just chucking the firewood at this dog. He is, it's not a good look, new head. 
no, it's really not. Um, and nobody is like worried about whose dog this is or where this dog <laughs> runs off to. Like the dog just runs away. Um, Jason kind of looks vaguely menacing in the porch light. He says that the cops don't like him because he asks too many questions. Spencer offers to answer some of these questions. And he kind of brushes past her while she fills him in on the police's version of events, re-Ian. Jason asks a very interesting question. How did you do it, according to Ian? And Spencer basically, you know, in such an interesting way, has to confess to killing Allison through this conversation. She, She is using I statements here. And but Jason gets her to admit that Ian didn't actually say the words I killed her. Of course, this is a very funny scene because they both think that they killed Allison uh, and they were both too high really to know what actually happened. You know, just two peas in a pod, two siblings here. Jason says that he got or um, she gave him what he needed as he goes back inside. Yeah, this this is such an interesting scene because there's so much information floating around that they don't know like jason knows that they're siblings spencer doesn't know that yet um and jason knows that he's afraid he might have harmed allison spencer hasn't really like accepted that fear that she has yet but it's definitely rattling around inside of her so yeah it's just so interesting the way that their similarities play off each other here and i feel also the way that Spencer, you know, later she's going to have some real suspicions about Jason. But here in this scene with with new Jason, who I feel like we can treat him as a new character because he's new. He has a backstory uh, that's different from the old Jason. But she seems to instinctively trust him. I mean, she trusts him enough to reveal uh, some stuff about the bell tower, which we haven't really seen her talk to outsiders about before and also this is like a hallmark this is a thing that i really like about the spencer jason relationship as the show goes on that we get glimpses of um he cares about spencer in a way that her other family members don't always show that they care about her like she has been wanting to tell someone she's been wanting to have someone want to listen to her version of what happened at the bell tower mm-hmm. she's been wanting that for a while and jason is the first person we see who like actually seems interested in what happened. Right. Well, and I think that, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more, but I think the Hastings family is built around the image of them as this perfect family, you know, Um, to the point that what it looks like to the outside world and Veronica in particular has been going on and on about what things look like to the town, uh, not really caring what the truth is. And Jason, by virtue of being uh, a family member, Spencer doesn't know this, but a family member who is not part of the perfect picture of this image of what the Hastings family is, he, um, he and Spencer can kind of talk on a deeper level about the truth because there isn't this image, this existing image that they're trying so desperately to uphold. Can I take us to the flashback? Well, standing there on the edge of the porch, Spencer gets a flashback. The girls are having an idyllic front lawn picnic with Hannah and Emily sitting on the ground and Spencer and Aria sharing a wicker chair. Allison runs into the scene with Jason uh, running after her and grabbing her arm. He's angry at her for messing with his stuff. 
and he tells her and the Powerpuff Girls to stay out of his room. He's so mad. He's wearing a nice raglan shirt. She insults him and his stoner friends as the girls giggle, uh, after which he stomps off and goes inside. And Allie admits that she did take one of his Japanese cartoon porn books, which I'm taking as her covert exploration of her own queerness. She says she hid it. She has hiding places <laughs> all over the house and yard. When she wants something hidden, it stays hid until she wants it found. That's why all their secrets are so safe with her. In the present, Jason turns off the porch light to hasten Spencer's departure. Yeah, I feel like Spencer looks slightly intrigued, slightly turned on by this news from Allison, which, I mean, we'll learn later that they're related too, so nothing shippy there, but just, it's, I think in that way that Allison is so much a creature of fact. Also, Spencer might have wanted to look at the book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Spencer's like, so where's that book? <laughs> Need it for research purposes. <laughs> Much like the the Playboy, yes. the potential Playboy in the last episode. <laughs> oh, Spencer, and the and the the magazine I, that she brings. To I'm Toby. just saying, there's a whole like there's a whole <laughs> underthread regarding Spencer's uh, Spencer's interior interests in. Uh, in reading material yes specifically mm -hmm. her like magazine mm -hmm. purchases mm -hmm. um back at school emily is talking to the to the recruit she learns that she's a candidate for a scholarship but her move could pose a problem emily gets very excited as she feels like she might have yes. a reason to stay uh spencer pulls up to watch toby work but she's just in time to see him get fired and paid off by his boss the homeowner saw toby on the crew they have a daughter they don't want him around he's dejected and refuses to get into spencer's car opting instead to mope on his own <laughs> Yes, he makes some very disappointed Toby faces um, at her. Um, over over at, at Casa de Prezra, Aria is talking on the phone to Ezra. She is mad because he has kept her waiting at the apartment. Uh, she He's at a faculty meeting at Hollis, and she rightly points out that he knew about this meeting when he asked her over. He kind of whines about how he didn't know how long it would take and insists that she waits for him. And uh, he continues to whine in, until she agrees to wait a little bit longer. And then she replaces his diploma, which I feel like should have been her first move when she got into the apartment. Maybe, like, don't wait around until he's already super late, thus risking the fact that he might be coming home um, while you're yeah, doing this. Yeah, that's a great point. Also, I feel like uh, he is just, boy, what a, what a prince he is in this episode. Um, because he's not apologetic about not being there. He keeps acting like nothing is his fault, and Arya is the one being difficult for not wanting to wait for him indefinitely. Exactly. Yeah, Ezra's really good at doing this sort of like, what What do you mean, Arya? Like, this is, this is not my problem. Oh, this is man. your problem. Um, Emily is yeah. selling Pam on Danby. Her mom agrees it could be a reason to stay, but she'll need to talk it over with Wayne. Uh, but they need more than a vague promise. They need a solid commitment from the university. Emily says it's no problem. She'll talk to the scout. 
Uh, to which I say, geez, Pam should really talk to him as well. But I guess between the move and the burglary, she's off her game. Also, I was thinking about this. I think Emily gets the most college-related storylines of any of the liars because she has the thing at the beginning of season four, which is like the next time that we'll talk about college, um, where she and and Paige are talking about going to Stanford together. And then she has, she and Spencer later in that season will go to the college in the wonderfully (laughs) named episode Gamma Zeta Die. Um, And Emily is like, that's where they have their big fight because Emily maybe wants to go to that school. And but it's funny because then later Emily will be the liar who dropped out of college. Yes, so. yes. There's there is a lot of college stuff in Emily's uh, Emily's storylines for for someone who doesn't graduate and then winds up like taking a couple classes at Hollis, I guess. Yes, and then like becoming a barista mm-hmm. slash bartender slash swimming coach. Sure. Um, Aria calls Spencer to, they have this kind of weird conversation. So she calls Spencer to ask how long to wait and gives her this speech about how Spencer has this great internal sense of time. Spencer always knows the right time to do things, which I think is just an excuse. I think that Aria knew that Spencer has a thing about talking about Presria's relationship and that talking with Spencer might spice this evening up a little bit. Um, Toby arrives at the door and Spencer, who could just give Arya a quick answer, like wait another 20 minutes and then go, says that she'll call Arya back later before she runs off with Toby. Um, Arya wants to leave, but she gets another text from Yes, I agree. The last time that Arya talked to Spencer when she was alone in Fitz's apartment, uh, it did get it it did get a little uh, PG-13 moving to uh, moving to something else. So yeah, I think that uh, she might have been hoping that that would happen. Uh, alternately, I think she wanted someone else to make this uh, decision for her. But yeah, so then Spencer yeah. is uh, going to go out with Toby. Spencer uh, goes to get a coat. Uh, Arya is going to just wait and wait, wait some more. Um, then we go back to Hannah in her house, angrily loading the dishwasher and listening to poor Mona leaving a message on the Marin's landline answering machine because Hannah hasn't been taking her calls. Daddy Tom comes in and asks if there's something wrong with her phone because he's doing an impersonation of an engaged parent this week. Hannah is not falling for it and gives it to him with both barrels uh, about only coming around when she's in trouble. To which Tom responds, I'm sorry, it seems that way. It seems that way because it is that way. Oh, my God. She tells him to keep his meaningless apologies to himself. And he acts so hurt that he has to sit down and look sad to convey his sincerity. He asks why Hannah doesn't trust him, and she says because he promised he would always she would always be his daughter, but now he has this whole new family, which the real issue is his lack of engagement with Hannah, but she's putting the best words to it that she can here. Uh, he says no one ever intended to make a mistake, and he regrets talking himself into leaving her behind, and it's just amazing the damage you can do with only good intentions. His words are like the wind 
fleeting and they have no meaning. He didn't help them with the mortgage crisis. He didn't show up when Hannah was in the hospital or when she had her leg in a cast for a month. That is not an accident. That is a clear sign of his priorities. I think he probably had a fight with his new family and now he's sniffing around back here. Yes. Yeah, this is a great Hannah scene. This is a great Hannah episode in general. Um, First of all, regarding the Mona voicemail, I love that, you know, Mona, she's really smart. I don't know if you know this, but she's really smart. Um, She's totally isolated Hannah. So now Hannah will be quicker to forgive her. And she's potentially putting Hannah in a position where people in the house who might overhear this message might put pressure on Hannah to forgive her. Very smart, Mona. Also, Hannah has such a sick burn to Tom when she says, do you notice how I never see you unless I'm in trouble? Do you think that's significant? I mean, should I bring it up in therapy? Which, good on you, Hannah. Also, yes, this is why people go to therapy. This is what you should be bringing up in therapy. Um, And yeah, and Dr. Ann will probably be able to help you. Uh, And I also really like how her, her statement, you know, you lied to me, so I don't trust you is really true of the Mona and Caleb situations as well. And I think we as the audience are supposed to think, oh, this conversation about forgiveness is going to make Hannah forgive Caleb. And I love that it goes the other way. So good. So good. Aria uh, back at, did you have more to say about that scene? Or, okay. Aria back at Fitz's just sort of ruminates on all of the Presria related things in the apartment, including the terrifying bag masks, before doing the most Presria thing of all, leaving him a Dear John note in the typewriter and waltzing out of the apartment, the note saying, I'm sorry, we couldn't. First of all, this montage of Aria's one woman reenactment of waiting for Godot (laughs) is fantastic. Um, This is what we're talking about, about how he's just a really shitty boyfriend. Um, This is not like an impossible and insoluble conundrum that he finds himself in. He could text her to apologize and say his meeting is taking so much longer than he expected. He's so sorry. He doesn't want to keep her waiting. Can he make it up to her tomorrow? He could wind down the meeting with his department head. He is not a hostage. He's a new faculty member. He could just look at his watch and be startled and say the time got away from them because this was just so fascinating. But he has another appointment. He looks forward to speaking more once his classes start. Uh, He could also have been honest with Aria from the start about his scheduling conflict and arranged to have her come over on a day when he didn't already have something going on. Having her just hang out at his apartment waiting for him when she doesn't even want to have this talk in the first place is so rude and a clear sign that he doesn't value anyone's time or agency other than his own. Yeah, I mean, he could fake an emergency. Like there. Also, he, he doesn't even really need this business. job at Hollis. He's independently wealthy, so he could. Just... <laughs> yeah, there. There's just. There's really just no reason for him to be behaving in this manner, except that he is not a stand-up person. They probably. Probably. They probably. Hollis. Call him a stand-up person. Like, that's ableist language, but he's yeah. not. Uh, he's not a great guy to be dating for anyone. Agreed. Totally oh, agreed. Uh, so, yeah. Oh, Emily and Samara are at the movies, and Emily is excitedly talking about how she won't have to move if she can get a letter from the Danby, Sc- Danby Scout, 
which she sure won't be a problem at all. Uh, Samara is happy, but Emily pauses weirdly for a moment and Samara like picks up on this and immediately <laughs> asks if Emily came here with someone else once. Okay, for real, this is the movie theater. Dinner and a movie is an extremely standard issue date. Unless you, like, have sex in the back row or something, I don't think you can get too precious or nostalgic about other people you've been to the movie theater with before. But this kicks off another mention of Maya. Samara is like, everyone has a Maya if they're lucky. Which is also kind of rude and presumptive. You don't know all Emily's story or who Maya is or why she's important. But Samara really wants a chance to talk about herself as the queen of all queerness. And go on about some chick in her sophomore lit class who she crushed on and eventually hooked up with. I feel like Emily's chemistry with Samara is still much better than her later years chemistry with Sarah Harvey and or Sabrina. But it's not sizzling by any means. They sit together and watch an unknown movie. Oh my god, I love how much you hate Samara now. <laughs> you're you're just playing games with me. You're like, now you're gonna be like, oh, Samara's not that bad. So then next week I'll I'll be like, oh, you know, Samara was okay in this episode. And you're gonna be like, <laughs> what are you talking about? She's the devil. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Yeah, I I thought Samara was pretty inoffensive in this scene. Um I I, I do agree that she she does act like the queen of all queerness and is kind of talking like she's been, you know, out for the better part of two decades or something at this point. But um, I don't know. I think it's nice. Like, she's warm and jokey and someone with experience and confidence. And I feel like probably right now, after this whole page thing, after the Maya stuff, like this is probably after Allison, this is probably like kind of the person Emily needs in this particular moment. I don't think that they'll be together forever. Obviously, we know. Um, but, you know, I think it's 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 fine. I also think that Samara, like, I feel like the Samara, this is a weird time period for Emily because, like, there's this whole Danby plot and the Samara thing. And I feel like there's some crossover between those storylines or something. I don't really remember how that all goes down. I remember their breakup, but I don't really remember, like, what their relationship is like. So, Maybe next week I'll, you know, I'll who have can some know? Samara, but we'll um, see. No, I, I, I'm joking around. Like it's all, <laughs> it's all because of you that I'm having a, a revolution on Samara. But also, uh, previously when I had watched uh, these episodes, um, my feelings about Maya were different. Like I had been so suspicious of Maya for a long time, and now that we've done the rewatch and I find myself really liking Maya and really liking her relationship with Emily. I guess maybe I bristled at the, everyone has a Maya a little bit more than I otherwise would have. Um, imagine how that line would play, for example, after the end of season two, like if Emily had, I mean, you know, like you don't know, you don't know what the deal is with Maya. Like, so if Emily we're like feeling away at, at, you know, like in season three, thinking about her first girlfriend who helped her came out and was then helped her come out and then was then murdered. And you're just like, oh, everyone has a Maya. Everyone has a first love who gets sent away to juvie camp by their mother and then comes back and is mysteriously dead. Like, you know, that's not 
the case. Like, you don't know someone else's life, especially in Rosewood. It's true. It's true. Yeah, in Emily's case, you know, some of us even have two first girlfriends that are murdered. And Everyone has a Maya. Some people have two. Um, <laughs> some people have an Allison. Um, yeah, yeah, that's true. I think also it's kind of interesting in these past couple episodes with the Maya shoutouts. It almost feels like they are talking about Maya like she's already dead, which is like the last episode with Toby, it was like this very nostalgic, you know, you loved Maya and all of this. And there's certainly a lot of this scene is very nostalgic tinged as well. Uh, and I wonder if, if in retrospect, this is perhaps a bit of foreshadowing for unfortunately what is to come in season three. Agree. Or season, end of season two. Agree. Season three. Do you want to take us to our second queer scene in a row slash the second candlelit conversation that Vandermeer has had in as many episodes? <laughs> <laughs> oh i would love to i would love to um mona is sitting alone at the grill she's very sad hannah arrives has a fabulous opening line asking if mona is alone or if noel Khan is lurking around here somewhere oh hannah this is rosewood noel Khan is always lurking around somewhere ready to grin at you um i feel like hannah gets like all the best lines in this episode uh, Hannah asks if she can sit. Um, Mona is is really sad, um, but she she they kind of have this conversation first about Noel. Noel Mona says that Noel is a major get, which I feel like is um, kind of from the Melissa Hastings school of I'm not really into this man, but you know a little performative heterosexuality never hurt anyone um, or their reputation around this small town. Hannah says that she's worried about Mona because, you know, Noel's kind of a bad boy. Um, and Mona says, so you want me to be careful? Like it would make a difference to you? Which is so interesting after the recent Perfectionist episode where Mona and Allison basically had a similar conversation where Mona basically made Allison admit to caring about her. Um, Hannah says that she understands why Mona did it and she wants to forget it. I kind of wonder if if Hannah hadn't just said let's forget it and had want, had opened up more of a conversation about the situation with the letter if Mona might have revealed more to her about any number of things that Mona could reveal to Hannah at this point. Um, Mona asks if she's forgiven and when Hannah says that she is, Mona says that no one has ever forgiven her before. And I think this is such a great line for Mona. Um, it, it kind of feels like Mona's sort of thesis statement as a character at this point. There's so much more inside of Mona than Hannah can know. And so many more terrible things that Mona has done to Hannah than Hannah, than just destroying this letter. Um, but this moment of forgiveness is like this one incredibly powerful act for her because it's Hannah and it's, where Hannah is concerned, like, it means the world to Mona. Um, and interestingly as well, Hannah proposes a don't ask, don't tell policy about Caleb and Noel when Mona asks about how things are with Caleb, which is very interesting. I bet that's an agreement Mona is happy to live with. We can just pretend like they don't exist at all, Hannah. We'll pretend that you be? don't have a boyfriend and 
I don't have a boyfriend and we'll just be two gals being pals. It's fine. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, this is a great yes. moment. Uh, Toby and Spencer have an extremely boring conversation at what might possibly be lookout point. He's mad because he thinks she should have told him about Melissa texting Ian because he would have done something. When pressed as to what, his answer remains, something. <laughs> they discuss Rosewood looking pretty from afar. Toby says it's not a town. It's like a mind-melded collective in a horror movie. Spencer says the town isn't a monster. Toby says it's full of monsters. He doesn't want her to tell the police about Melissa's texting uh, because the police are bozos. So he just opts to snuggle her instead. Um, I think it is a real tribute to Lucy Hale's acting that her just being in Ezra's apartment waiting around is more interesting to watch than the Spencer and Toby stuff in this episode and also more interesting than some of the Emily Samara stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she really brings like a, a, a particular gravitas and like slightly unhinged quality that I feel really really makes it good i do think that this is kind of an interesting precursor to the noir episode because it does feel like very um very sort of unsophisticated noir here as they're sitting looking down at the town talking about you know well yeah and also like monster. it's fine like toby as spencer's partner like it's fine for him to be like i wish that you had told me about this potentially dangerous thing that's going on because even if I can't do anything, I just like to know, you know, if you're okay or something's going on. Like, that's fine. But pretending that, like, you, because you're a man, would have done some unknown action that you feel like would have made a difference. Even though right now, as you're being told, there's still no action that you can take. Like, this is just sort of the, the chest-pounding element of, of Toby that I, that I don't love. Agreed. Agreed. Um, Aria arrives at Spencer's house for a little something, a little comforting, a little snuggle after her after her hard night over at Fitz's, but finds the house broken into. She goes inside, oh Aria, and just starts calling out for Spencer before being slammed up against a table by someone who we will later find yes. out is um, the the scene that they create with this where there's like the broken window pane above the handle of the patio door her shoe stepping on the broken glass and then the hooded figure like knocking her into some furniture and a lamp and then the camera lingering on Arya's shoe like she's some kind of knocked out Cinderella as the shoe just sits there on the broken glass like it's all wonderfully over the top Agreed. Um, when we come back from commercial, Spencer has uh, Spencer has come back home. Arya is icing her wrist. Spencer has called the police and checks in on Arya. Um, Arya says that she's okay. They theorize that the person breaking in around town might not be A, like they'd suspected, but might in fact be Ian, who also was perhaps the person who wiped yes, Emily's Yes, um, I feel like Spencer comes back and just enters into a hurt comfort fic where she is tending to Arya's, uh, Arya's injuries here. Um, it's, it's interesting, like, 
I, this is obviously Mike, uh, who's been breaking into garages, and I think who also broke into the house because Mona would never stoop to a smash and grab. And I believe that Ian is, if not dead, then certainly too incapacitated to be breaking in here. Um, Arya is spooked, but Spencer says Melissa is in the barn. What would Ian want in the house? And then Arya ominously says, "You," as the tea kettle whistles furiously in the background. No, Arya, you're just talking about what you want <laughs> oh, from the Hastings you know, house. Also, note how much contact Arya and Spencer have had in this episode when the liars are not they're like forbidden from dealing with each other because of their parents. Arya has been unaccounted at Ezra's for literally hours and just called Spencer on her phone. Uh, now she and Spencer are hanging out in the kitchen after Ari has been attacked in Spencer's house. I think this is such a reflection of the parenting styles of all of the liars. Ashley and Pam are actually taking steps to enforce this rule, whereas the Hastings have already disappeared again, and Ari's parents never seem to have any clue where she is. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, um, Emily is then talking to the Danby Scout again. He'd be happy to talk to her mom and dad or to write her a letter saying they're interested in her, but he can't make any promises and Emily is disappointed. Yes. Oh, man, this scene. In Prezra's classroom, he starts waxing poetic about his, you know, in his goodbye to his students the class gives him To Kill a Mockingbird because it is the only book he ever taught them, although who knows how long it's been. Um, and he gives this speech about Arya, about, you know, how he'll miss her voice and her ideas and blah, 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 blah. Um, it's so clearly about Arya that everybody in the classroom turns to look at Arya as he walks closer to her. Um, I would love to know what these other students actually think of Ezra Fitz. Um, he, you know, he says, interrupt me if I start getting too maudlin. Ezra, you are just absolutely the worst. He quips off as the bell rings, always read, have a good life. Uh, the students file out of his classroom. Spencer shakes his hand. Um, and then Arya sits sadly in the cafeteria, seemingly for hours, as the rain outside starts to turn Once again, where do who <laughs> yes. is at this time? <laughs> <laughs> right she slow-mo runs through the halls to Fitz's classroom but the sun comes streaming through as she looks outside sees him in the parking lot runs into his arms and they kiss in the school parking lot like a couple of idiots Arya you were doing so good in this episode oh man what away i feel like his speech in that classroom is like a bingo card of predatory manipulation connection loss i won't forget you joseph campbell quote oh oh my god (laughs) um the way that he like you were talking about moves to the classroom so at the end he's standing right in front of aria's desk oh this motherfucker um i like that she initially hurries out of the classroom without saying goodbye to him um then has this you know new waiting model you know montage that she's there in the cafeteria um the when she starts she gets up and she runs to his classroom and then she goes and she runs after him i feel like this is one of those pll 
love runs, which are one of my least favorite rom-com tropes. Uh, we see a lot of these on PLL where the character has to, they, they have to run to prove their love and their, their fitness for love, apparently. Um, but my favorite, favorite thing about this run is that Arya is awkwardly holding a water bottle in her hand the whole time. Stay hydrated. <laughs> um, and and when, when she sees that his classroom is already cleared out, she spies him out the window and she rushes down to find him packing up his car. Uh, you see the water bottle just bouncing along in her hand. And then when she gets down there, she then shoves the water bottle into her purse and rushes into his arms. Why is that water bottle there? What is even happening? Anyway, they are kissing, as you said, in the school parking lot in broad daylight, and they get the spinning camera. They get the spinning camera when she leaps into his arms. Also, the kiss lasts for a very long time. I heroically watched it a second time to clock it, and it is a full 30 seconds of screen time. That might be as much as the total time of on-screen Emerson kisses over the run of the show. Arrest this man. <laughs> oh, I think it's the total, I think it's the total amount of like Haley and It's Emerson a long, kiss, probably. it's a long spinning camera predator kiss. That is all I have to say. <laughs> It's almost as long as Allison and Mona's hands ah, in the perfectionist It episode. is. <laughs> <laughs> but not quite. Uh, Spencer gets home and finds a cozy looking Melissa huddled under a blanket on the sofa reading. She apologizes for being late. Melissa, I didn't notice. She tells Spencer she's been inside all day due to the weather, but Spencer finds muddy boots near the coat rack and the sonogram pick in the pocket of Melissa's coat, our second shoe crime of the episode. <laughs> That's right. Um, we cut to the greenhouse where the liars are theorizing that Melissa took the sonogram to Ian, who must be close by because Melissa didn't drive anywhere. Um, the liars decide that they're stronger together. They're basically going to have an affair with one another and hide up the fact that they're you know, hanging out together. This lasted long, guys. You were hanging out all throughout the episode. Uh, also, um, like, couldn't they, Melissa have just gone for a walk or something and felt like she didn't owe Spencer an itemized itinerary? <laughs> yes. Yes, she could have. But it's Melissa. You know, much like when Jenna, like, touches something, it's immediately enchanted, you know? Um they walk by the De Laurentiis house. Jason is still gardening and sort of grouses about planning to put up a fence. This feels like the start of one of our many Jason might be suspicious storylines. Um, the liars ponder whether he is trying to keep something out or keep someone out. Or keep yes, someone this, this gives rise to the, the theory that they work for a little while of Ian having sought shelter at the De Laurentiis house, uh, which... I don't really think like having a privacy fence is going to super help with that. Although he kind of does need a super privacy fence because the liars are the people who keep hanging around suspiciously outside of his house. So I, I think it's his house. He's allowed to put up a privacy fence if he wants. Liars do not necessarily agree. Neither does the spooky music cue that is going as they talk about this fence. 
Um, for the A tag, the dog is back and it is pawing at this suspicious tarp that has been in Jason's yard. Uh, A whistles to draw the dog's attention and then a gloved hand pets the puppy. I would also like to shout out the fact that Jason historically does not like dogs. He throws the firewood at this dog and then later we learn that he is the one who lets Jessica's dog escape because apparently he uh, he's not big <laughs> on canines. No, but you know who does love animals <laughs> is Mona Vanderwall. Well, you know, she had the owl army. She's got a lot. Yeah, this, this dog is probably one of her many trained recruits. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and yeah. Uh, so what's your call? Do you like new head Jason better than old head Jason? It's it's hard because I ultimately I will like him more. I yeah, I think for that scene with Spencer, I don't he doesn't come across as great in this episode, but I think already he has a really interesting dynamic with Spencer. Um uh, and that to me like the 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 best part of Jason's character is his relationships with his sisters. Uh, not in the creepy way, but in the like, just their interesting way, specifically his relationship with Spencer, because they end up being very much kind of mirror images of one another in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. So I, yes, I do like new head Jason. More yeah. Than yeah. Jason. Big fan of new headed Jason. This is the Jason uh, that I like and the Jason that I feel like grows over the course of the series in ways that some of the other guys don't. Uh, if you look at where he starts and where he ends, I think there's a big, big difference. Uh, also, I have a question for you. Who is the worst behaved man in this episode? Our candidates are Jason De Laurentiis for bad trash management and cruelty to animals, uh, or Tom Marin for being Tom Marin, or Prezra Fitz for being a shitty human. <laughs> I gotta give it to Prezra. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of a legacy award, but like, yeah, I gotta, I gotta give it to him. I agree just because Tom and Jason are absent a lot of the time and absence is better than, um, you know, your, your constant presence and being a fuck boy. So. Yeah. Yeah. Prezra is really awful in this episode. Always read. (laughs) Have a good life. And I'm. I can't, I can't stand him. He's so, what, what makes it worse is that he's so proud. What makes it, me feel better know? about that so is proud. that in that scene, you see that the gift that Ari gave him was a hardcover to kill a mockingbird, a book that they all, like, like way to phone it in. <laughs> well, it's interesting that that's set up early in the episode, that the gift, and then not really followed up on like it's not like we we assume that Arya gave that to him because Mona asked her to early in the episode but we don't really we don't actually see that happen so it also could have been that that Mona just picked that out because Arya Arya like got distracted yeah she actually didn't have time to get him a gift because she spent all her time waiting around in his apartment with him not showing up Oh man, yeah, yeah. I just, I'm just thinking of all the funny gifts that Mona would would probably like to give Ezra. Ezra. Um, 
yes, this is a I, maybe slightly a filler episode here in the beginning of season two, but a good one, I think. Some good character moments, particularly for Hannah um, and Mona. Uh, and yes, I, I know nothing about what's to come next week. Oh, um, um, well, yeah, next week we have uh, My Name is Trouble, which uh, we get a, a dream sequence in that episode that I uh, remember as being one of our, our first exciting PLL dream sequences. Um, but like, I don't know, Tom's around. There's a pottery class with Arya and Jenna. The pottery class, the infamous pottery class. Um, Okay, well, I look forward to us talking about that episode. Uh, If you have thoughts on this episode, if you have thoughts on who the worst man in this episode is, um, you can send us an email at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. Check out our Instagram at everybodyapodcast. Uh, You can rate review us on iTunes. We've gotten a couple ratings over there, which is awesome. And uh, we will also be, yes, continuing sort of light perfectionist coverage, seeing what we want to talk about. All right. Until next time. Don't forget to read. Have a good life. Take care.